Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and my friend and colleague is Bruce Aldrich. And I think now we are on episode number 182 of our podcast, well into our third year of podcasting. And today we have on, uh, I would say, one of the more unique guests we've had on, uh, Scott uh, is it Canary? Gunnery. 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 I'm so, sorry, Scott. I should ask you in advance. Scott Gunnery. And no problem. S- Scott and I know each other um, from uh, Scott works for Page One Automotive, and we've gotten to know each other uh, from the Page One is a I call them the liaison companies for the manufacturers who provide uh, journalists with test cars and VIPs with test cars, and so. I've gotten to know Scott a little bit, and one day we were talking uh, at my house uh, about cars, and it came up that Scott uh, happens to own or has owned or currently owns a variety of different Etzels, and you're the first person I've ever known who owned one, let alone several. So, Scott, welcome to our podcast. We just can't wait to talk about Etzels. No problem. Glad to be here. I'll give you as much knowledge as I can. I've been uh, an Edsel nut for years. Scott, could you take us through uh, maybe a good launching point would be um, a, lot of t- a lot of times somebody my age or, or your age or even younger, maybe they've inherited a car or their father, older brother, a cousin, somebody had a car that they've become interested in. In your case, Edsel, can you tell us how you come to appreciate Edsel's? Well, I guess it started at a very young age. Um, I was, uh, oh, I don't know how old was I. I was about seven or eight years old when the Edsel came out. And uh, I was fascinated by the design. It was so different than anything else. It was weird. And that's what I liked about it. And um, since I was, you know, barely walking, I've been a car nut. And uh, Edsel was just one of the other, the the ones that uh, I took a, an interest in. And then over the years, I've just followed the story. I thought it's just a, it's to me, it's a fascinating story about, uh, the whole thing about how it started and how it ended. And, um, and then through the years, as I became older and I thought, you know what, I need to have an Edsel. I need to buy an Edsel. I need to find one. And I went from, uh, having no Edsels at all, um, until, I think my first Edsel was, um, I want to say maybe 20 years ago. And then, uh, I acquired more and more and I eventually had six of them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good number. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do they yeah. have, they have 12 step programs for people who have a compulsion for, yeah. for Edsels. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, cars in general, but yes. we all know that story. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so then from the six, I've now pared it down to three. Um, and, uh, you know, I think at, at this point, the, the three that I have are all in various uh, states of disrepair, I would like to say, rather than, uh, you know, show cars or even driver quality at this point. But uh, they're projects, and uh, I seem to have an affinity for that sort of thing and bringing a car back to life and making it a decent driver and enjoying it. Great. That's good. I, the, uh, Edsel's always put a smile on my face. 
I'm not quite sure why. They're you know the brunt of a lot of jokes, and they yeah. are they do have unique styling. Uh, maybe you yep. could give us a little background. It was like a three year car run, right? Um, little background yes. on, on what what the heck a Edsel is, and it's a division of Ford. Right. Yeah, it came out uh, as a '58 model in September of '57, and uh, they made the '58. 59 and 60 the 60 edsel was a very short run uh in a matter of three months they were done um and before the actual calendar year 1960 the edsel was kaput but uh they made over uh i think 110,000 something in that range of you know all three years and uh, it just was uh, mistimed many many reasons for the demise, um, probably one of the major reasons was that it came out at the wrong time. It was too late. Um, if it had come out in 1955, we might still have an Edsel. But uh, in 57, late 57, there was a recession. And it was a brand new model. It was different. And it was, you know, medium, upper medium price range and people were going away from that tell, so uh tell us about the uh the unique grill what how do you what do you call that well in edsel circles uh it's uh, uh i guess the, the the nicest name is the horse collar grill that's the one there i was other, thinking that's <laughs> the nice one yeah there are other names uh <laughs> that i won't mention um but uh yeah the, the, the another uh, common uh, phrase was uh, it looked like an Oldsmobile sucking a lemon. Oh, I love that's that. The one I, that, oh, I, that. I love one that. Made me laugh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. But not only its yep. look, its looks, but it actually uh, had some uh, pretty interesting design features, uh, new innovative things. Uh, yes. Both interior and the exterior, right? Yes, absolutely. Probably the most notorious or uh, noticeable is the if you had an automatic transmission in 58, 58 only, the uh, actually I should take that up. If you if you order an automatic, you get two different automatic modes of operation. One is the teletouch, which is the push buttons in the center of the steering wheel. You could get an, a column traditional column shift automatic as well. That uh, teletouch, it, yeah, it looked like a phone circle button item or something. Yeah, it's, it's electromechanical in nature. Um, uh, you know, it, it it's uh, very problematic um, due to the design. You know, the buttons couldn't rotate with the steering wheel, so the steering wheel had to rotate around that center section that had the push buttons, and that created the, the, the complexity uh, of the whole thing. You know, there was contacts in the bottom of the steering column that sent the electrical signals to the actual electric motor that moved the shifter down on the trans. Yeah, what could go wrong with that? <laughs> oh, yeah, what possibly could go wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, and then there's three different relays, and then you had to have a, an inhibitor so that you couldn't... Uh, uh, push the button and park while you were driving, you know, so all of these things added up to the just, you know, too too complex, too complicated. Sure. 
for the time. Nowadays, uh, they have them. You It'd know, be child's play now. All kind of cars with with, right. with push buttons. Sure. Uh, and you, you've you've driven some well, in your capacity as uh, I think your when you gave me your card, it said um, uh, does it say lead uh, investigate lead lead What does it say on your card? You're, you you were the guy who t- takes out the cars and checks them for yes at yes the, at the lead inspector front, lead inspector. inspector Thank yeah. you, Scott. Um, right. And so, uh, of the current cars, just as a quick diversion. I have this week um, a Genesis that has one of the most unique shifting. It's just a big round knob that would actually look like the volume of a, a radio control, and it's the shift yep. from drive to reverse to park. And I, I mean, it's very simple yep. on the outside, but inside it must be pretty complicated. Well, it's it's all electric now. It's yeah. uh, digital and uh, no no mechanical components right. uh, that I'm aware of. Because I would think that it sends the signal to the computer. Yes, and that controls the, the trans. Yeah. So um, there's just so much. I'm stumbling on my own words a little bit because I want to ask everything at one time. But uh, in a nice email to you uh, to me, you said you have the course all 1958s to let the Listeners right. know you have a 1958 Corsair four-door, a Pacer right. two-door, and a Pacer four-door sedan. And right. listening to what you said earlier about 110,000 uh, in in the brief run that these cars have, do you have any idea how many Etzels are out there? Number one, and have they become quite valuable or not so valuable, or does it does it, does it greatly vary? Well, they've become quite valuable for certain models. Um, they're all uh, in collector car circles. Uh, if you've got a decent Edsel, you've got something pretty unique. Um, the beauty of it is it's basically either a Ford or a Mercury. Parts are you know fairly easy to find. But there's, there's a number of them around, yeah, for sure. And uh, the most valuable of which is probably a large series uh, 58 convertible, and I'll digress and explain that the large series Edsel in 58 was based on the Mercury. The smaller series in 58 based on the Ford. So um, a large series, which would, would be the Citation convertible, is probably the most valuable one. They are, they are worth... I've seen some... Um, Approach a hundred thousand. I don't know if there's ever been one that's been over a hundred. Um, uh, not for sure on that in terms of a sale price. Yes. Um, what I was looking uh, at. Some of the other, you know, convertible. Any the small series convertible. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, what I was looking at the uh, information I had that was the lower end was the Pacer, then the the higher end was a, a more premium was the Corsair. And then, like you said, the Citation was the top end. Um, yes. G- group of uh, you know add-ons and whatnot. Right. What and kind then of? They also kind, had. What kind of motors? Um, well, in the uh, in the smaller series, they had a three sixty one, which is based off of the Ford FE motor. FE yes. meaning Ford Edsel, and that was uh, in Ford. It was a three fifty two. Uh, the 361 is basically an overboard 352 engine. Um, and then the large series is a 410 cubic inch, which is a 
MEL motor for Mercury Edsel Lincoln, and it's a huge monstrosity of an engine. Um, and this is the 14th. They made this. The uh, Lincoln had 430 cubic inch. Mercury had 383 cubic inch. And Edsel had 410 cubic inch. So those are all the derivatives of the larger, big MEL block. I see. Okay. Uh, Scott, since you, you mentioned early on that there are people who know more about Edsel than you do, but obviously oh, you, yeah. you know quite a bit. Um, I knew a, a minutia of, of what you know, but could you give us a, a brief um, history of the family and um, the connection to Ford and what was the relationship, um, father and son, I guess it was, uh, and did Edsel consider itself a failure or is there much more to the story than that other than what you explained? Well, it is really a fascinating story. I think I've read every book about Edsel there is. Um, but basically, in in the early 50s, Ford decided, this is, uh, you know, after Henry Ford had passed away in the late 40s, Henry Ford uh, II took over, who was his grandson. Henry Ford's son, Edsel, had also passed away um fairly early in life. So Henry Ford II, he, he was running the company at that time. They were still private in the early 50s. They went public in 56. But uh, to answer the, you know, a little bit more detail, the, the Ford decided at that point that they need to compete better with GM. And GM was you know well-known. They had the Chevrolet. People would go from Chevrolet to Buick, and then from Buick to Oldsmobile, and Oldsmobile to Cadillac. They had a logical progression for people to to uh, buy, spend more money and buy a more expensive, nicer car. And Ford didn't really have that. They came out with the Mercury in, in 1939, which was medium price, but they didn't really have anything else other than the Lincoln. And so, and Chrysler also, they had uh, more medium price cars. Uh, and this was a huge market at that time. You know, the war was over, things were opening up, people were spending more money, they were, you know, buying more cars and, you know, wanting to become, you know, show off to the neighbors and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so the, that was the, the, the beginnings of the, the, uh, the Edsel thought. It wasn't even considered to be Edsel then. That's a whole other story in terms of why they named it Edsel. But uh, it... In, in 55, it was decided to go ahead with the project, and uh, then it um, it became, uh, you know, a, a huge undertaking for them. Um, they finally decided on the name Edsel. They came up with millions, and, well, not millions, hundreds of other names that they considered. It was all this committee that they had hired to do it outside uh, consultants and so forth. Um and then uh, in terms of what they were uh, planning to do, they decided they needed to have something that was different in some way to make it, you know, more desirable for people to say, well, look, I need to check out this, this brand new Edsel. What, you know, what's the deal here? And, you know, should I buy it type of a thing? So they came up with these sure, yeah. unique features um, along the way. And uh, the the family was against it in terms of calling it the Edsel. They did not like that idea, but they were overruled by the 
corporate mucky mucks that came in at the time and uh, decided to go ahead with that name. Bruce raised a good point uh, early on just before we called you that there are some unique women's names, like my mother's name is Eleanor, and you don't hear about too many Eleanors any longer, although it's kind of come back, and actually I know a neighbor whose daughter's name is Eleanor. Etzel uh, is an unusual man's name. I had never really heard of anybody named Etzel, and uh, uh, I think he might be a little bit older than I am, but do you remember when you had friends, or had you heard much about the name Etzel before the car? Never. Yeah, I never had any. <laughs> Yeah. Never. And I don't remember the actual derivative of the name. Uh, I think it might be German in nature, but I don't I don't remember, actually. Yes. I guess you'd call uh, Edsel would have been called Ed. Mr. Ed goes with a horse collar, so there's yeah, your connection. Yeah, good, good one, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> now, I see another one, another reference in here, Scott, and I don't know if I, you were done with your topic, but I, I in the nice email you forwarded a while back, uh, one of the cars is called the uh, Donna Reed uh, Bermuda, and oh, yeah. all, th- all three of us are of the age to remember the Donna Reed show. So what was the genesis yep. of that? It was in the television program a few times? Right. Well, let me go back and digress. That particular car is, the model name is the Bermuda. Yes. Which was the wood, phony wood uh, on the station wagon. And... Um, it, it was unique in and of itself in that it was the, the color of the wood was driftwood. It wasn't a dark walnut or anything like that, that everybody else had. They had the different paneling on the side and it definitely was lighter and looked driftwood in nature and color. I've never seen but, that. Uh, yeah. It, it, there aren't many examples left because nobody makes that exact driftwood uh, overlay um, that I'm aware of. And uh, so it's it's pretty unique to see if you see it at all. Most of the ones you see now are with whatever Dynock or 3M, uh, you know, uh, overlay is, is, is made these days. You know, they reproduce it for other, other wagons. But uh, getting back to the Bermuda specifically, it was uh, the one that I had, it was, uh, it was a nine passenger, which means that it had three row seats. The third seat faced forward. Um, the cushions on that third seat, you had to remove before you could fold the seat flat. So a lot of the nine passenger wagons of the era don't have those third seat cushions because people would throw them in the garage and forget about them and sell the car. And then, oops, oh, well, we'll <laughs> oh, just yeah. toss them. You know? Great story. <laughs> That's really, really good. But uh, the one that I had, uh, I acquired from another uh, Edsel uh, fanatic, and he had acquired it from um, a gentleman that used to work for, I believe, I don't think, it, I don't remember if it was Paramount or one of those studios that had the Donna Reed show, did, did, did the Donna Reed show. And uh, this particular car, he, there is documentation that he purchased the car from that company, but there is no documentation, at least to this day, that I'm aware of that said that specific car was the one that was used in the show. There are two episodes uh, that have an Edsel Bermuda in the show that's, that, that you can see. Obviously, you just don't know for sure, but speculation is that that was the one that was actually used in the show. 
I've never seen and a Bermuda uh, before, so that's. Uh, I guess there's not many left, like you say. Wonder how many pr- were produced. Uh, well, mine was. They only made 791 of the one that I, model that I had, which was a nine passenger. Okay. They also made a Bermuda six passenger, which they made I think 1,200 or something like that. Uh, they also made other wagons. They they actually had a very full wagon lineup. They had what they called the the Villager, which was the non wood sided, both uh, six and nine passenger, and then they had what they called the Edsel Roundup, which was a two door wagon, and that was probably. Um, the least expensive and least fancy of, of all of the wagons. That's amazing. And the only thing I've really ever seen is the two door sedan. Yeah, me too. That's the only thing left. Uh, Scott, there's so many things to so many, so much ground to cover, but uh, in your capacity, yeah. since we're both in, in Northern California and we've may, maybe you and I have had the discussion about Monterey auto week or maybe not, but I know that you guys are involved with, um, different auctions and you drop off cars for different reasons other than journalists. But have you ever right. gone to an auction, whether it's Meekum or Barrett Jackson or any of the other auctions where an Etzel is for sale or are they usually through oh, yeah. private companies or how does, how has that worked for you over the years? And what have you, what, what do people well, think? I've, I've been to Meekum in Monterey a couple of times through page one. Yes. Actually, I think just one time through page one, uh, but, uh, you know, we were working Monterey Car Week, and I had some extra time because, uh, uh, you know, we, we as Page One, you know, we would be uh, delivering, you know, and picking up vehicles and picking up people at the airport. And, all you know, everybody flies in from around the world. And sure. It's a big deal. Uh, but, yeah, to answer your question in terms of the auctions, yes, I have. Um, and I don't remember specifically, but the last time I did go to Mecham there, there was an Edsel. It was a convertible. Uh, I don't remember if it was a large series or small series convertible, but uh, yeah, I was there. And there was actually, I believe, another Edsel or two that were um, in the you know staging area uh, out in the in the field there where they you know before they run them through the auction. So I've I've seen them. Oh yeah, yeah that's great. I'm interested in these cars now. <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah, you're piquing our interest. Yes, that's great. Indeed. Tell it's us. A, it's a fascinating story. There's even more to tell. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, Ford lost $250 million on the Edsel project. And that was in 1959 dollars. So that's a lot of money back then. Not that it's nothing. Now, right. Yeah. But... It's not lunch money now either, right. but back then it was a huge, huge chunk. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. We've asked other, uh, Bruce, and I both have, an, you know, and uh, many other people, of course, have interest in vintage or classic cars. And I remember I've mentioned this on several podcasts where you speak to someone and they give you a story about driving their vehicle. And you said that early on in our podcast that the cars are in different, um, let's say, different categories of being driven or not driven. And when you have driven the cars, um have you gotten reaction from people who remember them or somebody say, what the heck is that? Or is there a story or two that um, re- you remember about people's reactions to a car they may never have seen before? Oh yeah, for sure. I drove the Bermuda probably the most of any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it generated just all kinds of interest whenever I would drive it and stop and get gas or whatever I was doing. Um, you know, at home, I had parked it at home, uh, a couple of times and I had notes, what is this? And can you tell me about it? Call me and whatever. 
So yeah, uh, no no uh, loss of interest at all. I mean, it was constant. If I if I had had it out and about, and then driving it was uh, fantastic. Uh, rode like a Ford, you know, mm-hmm. um, of the era. You know, that's what I like about fifties cars. You you know, it's power steering, power brakes, pretty easy to drive. Yes. Um, you know, automatic, uh, and uh, not, not, it's obviously much, much different than cars nowadays, but, it, you know, it, the big V8, keep up with traffic, no problem, um, and uh, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about that era of 50s and 60s, I, I really like. I, if Bruce doesn't mind, I know he's got something, but a quick follow-up to that is that um, in your capacity now, with page one automotive, you, like I do, and even more so, you drive every new car imaginable, um, from entry level right. cars to high end cars. Um, the diplomatic way, I guess I should ask is if you had your druthers, would, would you own one of the cars that you get to, to deliver and drive, or uh, would you still prefer, uh, like many people, uh, a fifties or sixties car? Oh, I prefer vintage over any of this stuff nowadays. Yes. No question. Okay, great. I think a lot of people on the street, you know, if, even if they're not car people, they can recognize something special. And an old vintage car is special. You know, that it equates to yep. a time gone by. And, and that, that puts a smile right. on everybody's face, I think. And you're right. A newer car it could be a $200,000 Mercedes, and people wouldn't give it the time of day. Exactly. That's it for totally. I mean... You know, colors is a big thing. You know, the colors in the 50s were so, you know, the pastels were big. And it just, you don't see that stuff now. You know, everything is silver. That's True. right. They did a lot of two-tone <laughs> stuff. Black or red, pretty much. Yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Bruce, I think you had something and else. And the Edsel did have, have a two-tone uh, that was very well done on the Edsel, if you looked at them. I thought the two-tones that the Edsels did were one of the best. Yes, uh, and it was in the interior match too, right? There was two tones on the inside. Nowadays, you don't really have any paint on the inside of a car. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, two tones, uh, interior, different uh, materials. Uh, you know, the between the different uh, uh, on on the Edsel, I believe on both of my Pacers, the uh, you know you have the welting between the seams in the seat. It's it's silver welting. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, something great. different. Scott, uh, tell us about the floating speedometer. Oh, yeah. The uh, the drum, as they call it, um, it's basically a drum that rotates. The needle is stationary in the middle of the of the, di- the cluster there. And uh, it was actually fairly reliable. It's just that it's kind of hard to... To read because you're used to a needle that moves and the dial is stationary, so it's it's different. <laughs> yeah, I'll say what I like about it. That's, yeah. cr- and, uh, that's great. <laughs> how do you get part? How do you yeah. get parts for something like that? Or, or do there must be guys who rebuild those if they fail? Yeah, and they were pretty reliable though. I don't remember or hear too much of any any big problems with those per se. Um, there was a lot of different types of speedometers. Uh, other cars had what they call a ribbon speedometer, which is a a colored line that runs across the dial 
and the, the numbers are, are stationary, but there's no needle. It's just a, a ribbon, if you will, that uh, you're going 60 miles an hour. The, the red part goes up to 60, and then after 60, it's white. So it's another take on, uh, on, a, on a speedometer design. It's similar to the drum, uh, but it's just oriented differently. Trying to be digital in an analog day or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Scott, I guess we'll uh, we'll finish with a, a question. You said that um, you have these three vehicles. Uh, other than you know meeting you in Sacramento, uh, we don't know each other. But do you have time to to uh, whether it's fiddle or do something serious with these vehicles? And and where are you in your process of of uh, you know taking these on some road trips? Well, I'm uh, I've got a barn that I keep them in, and yes. I've got um, a few cars. Uh, I once had about thirty. I'm down to about twenty. Uh, so I'm slowly whittling them away, uh, fixing them up, selling them. Um, I'm currently working on a '55 Mercury right now, and uh, the other the Edsels um, are. Uh, I I'm contemplating which one I'm going to work on next, and I believe. It's, it's about time for me to get one of the Edsels done, uh, or not necessarily done. They're never done, but uh, back up to uh, you know driving status. Great. I think uh, well, I think Bruce and I might have to take a road trip and come talk to you in your barn and see all the other cars you have. I think you gave it a absolutely. I could, absolutely. can't wait. I can't wait. I'm we'll on work an on Edsel that. Drive. I never yeah. run in one. <laughs> so yeah, um, Scott, it's been a great half hour. Thank you for just. Um, you know, I know you might say it's the tip of the iceberg, but I think you have a, a Netzel book in you. Uh, I think you should, you know, add to the collection of people out there because you you just have a ton of information. So, so thanks for. Well, believe me, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. I uh, I enjoy talking about it as often as I can. Uh, some people don't understand it, you know, but uh, I love it. And, oh, yeah. uh, I'm glad to glad to impart any of, any of that stuff to you guys. It's uh, it's. It's just a lot of fun. Well, I understand it a lot better now. I sure I, do. It's uh, interesting. Trying to absorb everything you said is uh, we're going to go have some lunch, and we'll probably talk about it some more, and we'll plan a, a trip down to wherever you have your barn. Keep it a secret for now. We don't want we don't want the public making a mad dash to your barn. But Yeah, oh, oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's <laughs> okay. definitely on the down low. No problem oh, with no. that. So th- thanks again, Scott. We appreciate you uh, being a guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. And we'll be back in touch. And, of course, I'll, I'll hope to see you in Sacramento soon. Sounds good. I'll be up there, I'm sure. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Cheers. Bye-bye. Appreciate it, guys. Bye now.